In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Come on, the doors are on back. Ah, what the? Is there a door behind all those spiders? <laughs> it's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. <sighs> look at how many spiders there aren't. Where should we lie down for eight consecutive hours first? Relax, you booked a Verbo. Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here with Travis Morningstar. I have some devastating news. Oh, no. This year's Victoria's Secret Fashion Show is canceled. What? They canceled it? But why? I don't know. I I think one of its main benefactors is... (laughs) He's currently uh, in undergoing trial for some uh, some serious crimes oh my. against women Interesting. and girls. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, we actually have a really interesting conversation coming up here shortly. I ran into this girl named Nicoletta Heidegger, and she's a sex therapist, and she works specifically with non-offending pedophiles and it's an interesting conversation obviously we've talked about pedophilia extensively on this show and last podcast on the left and side stories so i had a conversation with her a week ago or so I had a couple of drinks and she's a buddy of uh, of my fr- of my friends so I thought it was an interesting conversation, so that'll be a little bit later on here in this episode. She's a therapist, and uh, I think, what would you say, Travis? I mean, it is uncomfortable at times, but I also think we have to have conversations. You have to, I mean, it is a a conversation that immediately puts one on the defensive. Yes. Because... Yes. Because uh, like you, I think you say a couple times in the interview, the whole point of this conversation is to protect children. Yes. And so, and where she's coming from is plea is like asking you to be extremely open-minded about people that you would never consider, which are these people that maybe exist in this liminal gray area, Mm -hmm. but even in that gray area. Fantasies, but they don't act on these fantasies. And you're, I mean, it, Every atom in your body wants to sort of is repulsed by it, right? But at the same time, she's asking you just to sort of in a in a brief moment be as open minded as possible. It's really rough stuff. So um, that's a great. So yeah. anyway, stick around. <laughs> I was going to ask her. I I didn't I didn't chime in, but I was going to ask her what she thought about uh, this whole thing where you know they're making sex dolls that are childlike. Oh, that's a very that well uh, next time. And next so time. a lot of states are like waffling on on the legality of that. And right? Is, is it does it does it make people more predatorial, actually? That's, that's a great question. Um, but anyway, that interview was coming up here in just a moment, and obviously in the context of Jeffrey Epstein, a offending 
uh, pedophile or hemophile. I forget the exact term there. Uh, but nonetheless, we're following that story still. Uh, evidently, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the debates, but you know, it is what it is. We, we'll, we'll figure out winners and losers in the reality show election. That's how we do them nowadays, I guess, just forever and ever and yeah. ever and permanently. But when it comes to Jeffrey Epstein, I'm not sure if you saw the news. Uh, and, uh, you know, who knows? We're just going to get, like, everything thrown yeah. at us. Evidently, he wanted to seed himself, yes. and I don't know why. I guess that's because he's a narcissistic asshole. He well, went, but whatever. He, he, he had he, a farm, right? He went, his, his dream was a farm of, of women he to carry is, his... He is an idealist. Oh, is that um, it? So, yeah, he wanted to impregnate 20 women at a time at his New Mexico ranch. Uh-huh. And I assume what he wanted was uh, sort of a meadow full of half Epstein, half centaur uh, <laughs> <laughs> creatures with egg-shaped penises. Uh, yes. Isn't that the hands made tale? Yeah. Isn't that where they force impregnate people I, and I then mean, there's farms of ki- women pregnant? Yeah, kind of, kind of. But, I haven't uh, watched it. Man, Epstein really rubbed shoulders with a lot of like scientists and stuff, and he was really talking <sighs> this spicy talk about about becoming like this transhumanist god. I guess. And he was uh what's his face? Stephen Hawking was uh was his kind of buddy apparently and <sighs> they they would have conversations about this stuff and people did not balk at him because he has pl- he plied them with with uh champagne and money. Like Yes, money. So many scientists were all all ears for this talk, for this for this transhumanist talk. Oh my god. Well, I it is interesting how much money talks, uh, even louder than court documents. Yeah. Katie Couric, for example, obviously now she wants to be on the front lines of the war for equality. But, of course, she had dinner with Jeffrey Epstein the day after the Acosta, Alexander Acosta, after that plea deal nonsense, the day after he gets out of his whatever. 18-month jail sentence. Of course, he wasn't there half the damn time. He was at work, a.k.a. having sex with other people, uh, other women, and perhaps some children as well, even while in jail. It's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I feel like Regis Philbin, but I'm not talking about something that's like, it's a chip and it holds salsa. It's unbelievable. This is more like it's just unbelievable that everyone in entertainment yeah, it's not like talking about, like, wait, so you're in a theater and they serve food and the chairs recline? Unbelievable! No, this is, uh, so we'll keep on following that story. But let's get to a little bit of political conversation here. In good news, ASAP Rocky, ASAP? ASAP Rocky is coming home. ASAP, come home, ASAP. He is coming home, ASAP. Donald Trump, he's tweeting about it. And Trump this is so act- happy to tweet about it. This is one area where I don't, I don't, I'm throwing politics out the window. I actually just think this is funny. I don't know. I don't well, care. I, it's I fine. Mean, I'm sure he thinks he gets some weird points for it. Well, it's funny. He- it's funny what Trump said to like the Swedish prime ministry. He was like, "You're you're besmirching the good name of our Af- our good African American community." It's mm-hmm. like. Yeah, Sweden is a different country, Trump. Like, it's not your... This is not... Sweden is not besmirching the good name of of the African-American community in America because they're not... That's not their community whatsoever. you know, obviously, this is one of those ironies on the heels of what happened with Elijah coming in Baltimore. Donald Trump saying it was infested, using language that I do think strikes people as racist because it does sort of lead one to believe... That he's dehumanizing the folks of Baltimore. There is no denying Baltimore needs help. And let's be honest here. Elijah Cummings could probably do a lot better job. But uh, the way that Donald Trump approached that issue obviously set people off because it sounds 
racist and then horrible and it wasn't presidential. But then on the flip side, you have Aesop Rocky because Donald Trump and the hip hop community, ironically enough, and I've talked about this before, but he was mentioned thousands of times in hip hop songs and the vast majority of those mentions were positive. Yeah. He was like the rich dude because they saw like a gold toilet and they're like, yeah, I want to have money and have a gold toilet. So he has been uh, ingrained in the hip hop culture for quite a while. Yeah, I so mean, I think this kind of plays into that as he's well. He's still in. Uh, he's still in hip hop. I mean, uh, Walk a Flock of Flame released a song called "Fuck Trump." <laughs> <laughs> it has changed a little bit. The tune has changed a little the bit, tune but, the, has. but the melody always remains the same. Absolutely, and the name is always the same as well. So that's uh, interesting news. And let's also just talk briefly about the debate. And of course, I mean, honestly, let's. Give, let's give it a one more sentence here. What, what do you think about Baltimore? What do you, what do you think about the tweets? Because obviously those were I'm just, um, I'm just th- those were the firestorm of the week. But I'm just uh, trying to imagine the the like the like fake mustache plumber goons that Trump sent to break into Elijah Cummings' house because he oh that's right there he, was just a robbery he, there was just a robbery at uh, Elijah Cummings' house and Trump like immediately got on the horn and just started taunting him and so it's like <laughs> it's so bad I, I, I imagine it's just a guy that looks like uh, two guys that look like mario and luigi that right that busted into the house yeah and then, it could just be um scarmucci it could just be scaramucci's <laughs> boys just out there busting in watergate 2.0 yeah the mooch just just taking a taking a tire iron to a window right but of course baltimore we love the city of baltimore uh, in the way that Donald Trump was, uh, you know, don't demean the people, try to help the people. That yep. would help all of us, and I would love to see Charm City always do better because, indeed, the people there are charming and wonderful, and they got good cakes. I actually don't think that's true. I don't know. I, that's that's not a uh, stereotype of Baltimore that well, I'm aware they, of. Well, it's the Charm City cakes. Oh, okay. But those are the cakes that are all decorative. And uh, all they put is that the, the sugar, it's like the, what do you call that, like bindant, bindant, Uh Fondant. Fondant. Yeah. It's, it tastes bad. Yeah. I, I Not to besmirch the good name of Baltimore, I remember when we were doing a last podcast show there yeah. once, uh, a man climbed out of a dumpster. <laughs> yeah, I remember <laughs> as that. he masturbated yeah. at me. Yeah. So that oh. was... I mean, charm he, city, charm baby. City. I don't know. I, Honestly, there is something kind of. There cute was about some it. kind of cute. Yeah, it was yeah. charming. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was kind of endearing. Oh my goodness! So Donald Trump, that was the the tweet storm that the media decided to talk about forever because, uh, you know, they don't think we have any real issues that we talk about on a regular basis here on this show. And not that it's not a real issue. I just hate Twitter, and I just wish the people didn't follow us. I didn't. I wish media didn't follow the tweet hole. I wish they would talk about, like, what's going on with Iran, uh, because that situation is heating up, and we'll probably have uh, a foreign policy expert on here in the near future to talk about what's going on with all of that. And, of course, North Korea, they continue to taunt uh, Donald Trump in some ways, launching these very small uh, ballistic missiles. Obviously, they're you know not dangerous, but uh, you know it's just more Kim Jong-un being like, you know, just sort of peacocking for the world. But uh, did you see the missiles? No. The North Korean missiles are just like, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Like, <laughs> come on. You can get off the ground. They, like, wiggle, like, all weird. They're like soapbox derby missiles. They really are, because the U.S. is just like, shoo, like, shoo, shoo, like, nonstop. And you're like, that's a, that is a dedicated missile. Those, their missiles are just like, oh, man, look at you, little cutie pie, getting out there. 
Now, granted, if it, if it hits South Korea, those missiles are also very real. But, but uh, I mean, talking about like the media's interests, you know, not not talking about actual issues. Just just look at the the debates themselves. Oh my it's, god! It's oh. a spectacle that is. It is more American gladiator than um, American politics. Yeah, so we can talk about the debates. Uh, first of all, I think Warren and Sanders, uh, they did fairly, fairly well. I think Warren is really on message, and for some reason, I just if I have to choose a more progressive candidate, I would go with Elizabeth Warren. And I think when it comes to um, you know Medicare for all, obviously the pushback is you're going to kick 140 million people off of their insurance if they want to keep um, the insurance from their company or from their employer. So there. There will be some wiggle room in that at the, at the end of the day, but I think that is the right starting point to have yeah. when uh, getting into negotiations. If we did have a President Warren, that is a good starting point at negotiations because it's going to get pulled to the right. Um, but if it can stay left of center, that would be a great thing. But what happened with Obamacare, they started left of center and then the entire thing got drugged so far Maybe it ended up as a centrist plan, yeah. but I would argue it actually ended up as more of a center-right plan because of how the insurance companies, the amount of money the insurance companies were able to make, which is obviously something that Joe Biden is uh, is combating right now. And I think that that push and pull of like left and then return to center right. is the pretty much the through line of both of the debates that just happened, which yes. is like, are we... It's a bunch of Democrats saying, like, what will the Republicans think of us if we talk oh, about this God. stuff? And it's like, I no, know. they don't give a shit what you think. Why are we caring what they think? I, I mean, and uh, Buttigieg really kind of, I think, accurately yeah. um, described of- that that problem that was happening. He was like, nobody, they don't, whatever we talk about, it doesn't matter what we say. If we have the, if we have a, if we have a center right policy. It's still going to be considered socialist. Absolutely, they're just going to brand it socialist. So stop paying so much attention to what the Republican Party will think or will do, because again, the Republican Party is only about twenty-eight percent of Americans. It's super small. The majority of Americans identify as independent. Just get those independents. Get the Democratic Party. And again, in a we're in the primary process, so it's going to be more of a left-leaning conversation. But in a binary choice between a Democrat and Donald Trump, I do believe if the Democratic Party blows him twice, uh, they just don't even need to exist anymore. So I'm hoping yeah. uh, that they will not. In a binary choice against Trump, I'm, I, I'm confident uh, the Democratic Party, if they choose not to eat themselves too, too much in this primary, will still win. Yeah, I, and I, for the first debate, I really I liked how Sanders and uh, Warren mm. were like the Bash brothers of the yeah, debate. They went back to back. They yeah. went back to back, and they were defending the the left policies as opposed to this like mi- like lukewarm neutral centrist thing, which some of the other uh, the people were kind of waffling on well, on, the- on on the medical on the uh, the Medicare stuff. Like Bennett, and you know, there's a lot of more moderates out there, and again. It might be the right idea in theory, but now we have to talk about negotiating. And as we see time and time again, the Republican Party is, they don't blink, man. Moscow Mitch, they don't blink. Yeah. Like, they will go along and they will go along to get along. Ted, Cru- Donald Trump called Ted Cruz's wife a dog. <laughs> like, yeah. he's the now, and, and Donald Trump has criticized the best friend of Lindsey Graham, supposedly, John McCain. 
after he's dead. And they just still put their heads down and just do the work. So we got to put our heads down. And the Democratic Party has to put their heads down and do the work. And I will say this. Our boy, Andrew Yang, in the second <laughs> debate, he did really well. Yeah, he, he was rocking the Ahmadinejad, the no tie. He did uh, it no tie because he's chill, man. He did have this really cool line where he said, uh, you know, immigrants get uh, scapegoated for right. for problems that don't actually exist. You know, like where where people mm-hmm. are imagining a wall of, of unskilled immigrant laborers in a factory, right. it's actually machines, it's actually robots taking those jobs. Automation. And automation is, is the thing that you're you're putting that problem on exactly. on immigrants. I thought he did a good job of staying with his economic principles and tying in everything within his economic ideas. And the UBI, he does a better idea explaining over and over and over again I believe it was Eisenhower who even had a similar suggestion. Thomas Paine, you know, you go back and you can read some of the excerpts from, uh, you know, some political scholars of the past. This is not the newest idea no. on the market, on the block here. Andrew Yang is kind of like a nihilist, 4chan kind of candidate. He is, so a little bit, he, yeah. He did sort of, uh, I think he had kind of explicitly said, like, if you're on the coast, move inland and uh, basically prepare for the apocalypse. No, he literally was like, it's done. It's done. You know, it's done. So as a New Yorker, I was like, well, better start looking for houses. Uh, what's going to be safe? Montana? Yeah, it's, it's kind of refreshing. I mean, it's. I don't think it's a popular thing to say, but I think it's kind of refreshing to, it, amidst all of the kind yeah. of like hand wringing that is very exactly. um, uh, typical of, of Democrats. He was just like, we're all doomed. Here's yeah. $1,000. <laughs> uh, good luck. Go to the middle of the country. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, we're in our third hottest year on record. I believe this is going to be number three. Mm-hmm. This will be the third hottest year on record or top three. We had some of the hottest days ever recorded. The UK, which has the oldest uh, measurement of temperature in the world, has said it's the hottest that they've ever recorded. So, hey, you know, if you want to argue, that's the thing when it comes to like climate change. We can talk about human impact. I would argue we've had a hell of an impact. But if you don't believe it's happening, then we can't even begin the conversation. And there are some people who still just believe it is a media make them up and it simply is not. The scientist, there's no reason to lie about this. Yeah. It's actually just really nerdy data. Your, it's just data telling you the truth on this. Your hot girl summer is killing many senior citizens and well, uh, those uh, those people that are, are exposed to the elements. You know, senior so, uh, citizens, they're ha- they had a good run and they're doing wonderful and we love them. All right. So I think overall, I liked Yang. I thought Warren did a good job. And uh, Biden, uh, it was interesting with Joe Biden because Kamala Harris, Tulsi Gabbard, I don't know what Biden and Gabbard had going on, but uh, Biden was just like, "You want? can you take her out for me? And honestly, yeah. dude, Tulsi didn't say anything that was a lie. She completely, rightfully, now I don't think she had the greatest debate, but as far as a sniper, she went in and Kamala needs to be called out on her record in California. It was horrible. And again, as we talked about last week, California has more death row inmates than any other state. And the idea that she is like a progressive prosecutor is like when W called himself a compassionate conservative, not right, not possible. And it's just a way 
to spin out of some of but their past. Speaking of like sniping each other, I think you've said this before. Like it, it's kind of a the whole format of the debate <sighs> so is a sham. It is. And Jake Tapper is a worm. I know they all suck. He he sucks so bad. I the whole time he he's just he doesn't care what they're saying. He's trying to start like lunchroom fights. I know, man. And it's so embarrassing because it's like scrappy do. People are trying to like elaborate on their on this extremely complicated issue of uh healthcare for all. And uh he he really is just like, well, you know, um Biden called you a bitch. So, uh Exactly. You know, he they're they're really just itching, they're spoiling for fights and when you have 15 seconds to answer uh, some of this doesn't even feel like it's really relevant to our our, our like our election. It, it's more of a an ele- it more it's more of a ratings uh, grab bag than anything. And I know I was a little cynical on Twitter because they're like, "Are you watching it?" I'm like, "It's a money grab," and I understand it is. This is this is it. This is what we get. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just the way that the way CNN has done it. It's even worse than how MSNBC yeah. did it. It's just as bad as how Fox News did it. And you have to be, you know, so, it is what it is. You have to be so shrewd to deftly kind of avoid falling into sound bites where you're oh, just, of course, where you're poking someone else in the chest. And mm-hmm. I think the person who does that best actually is Warren. She, whenever she sees that coming, she just steps right out of the way and says, "Look, I know what you're trying to. You're trying to get me to call uh, Sanders like a whatever a villain." Yeah, or, sure. And she just completely sidesteps it every time, and it's kind of amazing to see. Yeah, well, she has a long history of saying the things she is saying now, and because of that base of knowledge, she has conviction, and she says, I'm not afraid. And even though I don't agree with her on everything, I like that about her. And when it comes to these more these new progressive candidates yeah. out, of, out of the ether, whether you're progressive or not, it doesn't matter to me, but Kamala Harris, for example, trying to now be progressive, unveiling a health care plan that is not even a health care plan. It, it, you know, she's attempting yeah. to be what she is not. And when you are not tethered to your record and when you are trying to be someone for someone else, someone different for someone else, it just shines through. And I will say in Biden's defense a little bit, he was getting it from all sides. And he did better. Now, of course, that is not great when it comes to a better performance from the first debate, which I have no idea what was going on. It could be good practice for him if he does end up making it to a general uh, to get all of this, like get it all out, have himself vetted on stage with all of these people. But at the same time, it was another performance that I felt he just doesn't quite have. The amount of energy that you have to have to, to win the day when it's nine other people on stage with you. He just, I mean, Cory Booker looked much stronger. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, everyone dogpiled on him. They really did. I mean, and and I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what was going on with Bill, except for Bill de Blasio. I will, Bill de Blasio is the worst candidate on any stage. Kirsten, it's it's the New Yorkers. Kirsten Gillibrand has done nothing. She is the worst, along with Bill de Blasio. This city is in shambles. The state is in shambles. And they're our leaders. Thank you so much. But the audacity of Bill de Blasio to talk about pre K. When pre-K is literally those those schools, air quote schools, those facilities are full of lead. The NYCHA, that's the New York City Housing Association, 
they have stopped picking up trash in yeah. public housing because there were so many rats that yeah. the inspectors said they don't want to go down and deal with picking up trash collection. Yeah. So the trash is now up to the roof of these 30, 40-story buildings in the trash chutes. So the rats just go all the way up in there. They are attacking people. They are living like they are in the developing world. They are living like they are in a third-world country, and it's happening right here in Manhattan, in New York City, in Brooklyn. And that is why every single thing that came out of his mouth was total and utter dog shit. Our MTA is being just everything is being mismanaged. The trains are stress inducing and horrible. And so for him to say that he somehow accomplished any of the ideas that I think would actually be good. Yeah. It's not about the ideas. It's about how does he actually get things done? He has not. He has reversed course in this city and look no further than his answer when it came to talking about lead. When he said New York City has seen a 90% reduction in lead since 2005. 2005, buddy. That was all Bloomberg. Yeah. Bloomberg was the one. And Bloomberg made some mistakes. But at the same time, the city was freaking running. Yeah. And so for him to be like, no, it's been since 2005. It's like you were not even close to in office. And since you've been here, it's gotten no, worse. I didn't so move, don't, don't believe de Blasio I didn't move or Joe uh, I didn't move to New York until 2011. But from what I understand, he inherited like a good city. Everything and was fine. He basically just can't fall off the... The amount of corruption in his administration. And just, just, he's just he doesn't deserve to be there. If you don't do a good job, Jill Brand the same way. If you don't do a good job as a senator or, or as a mayor, then get the hell out of there. And you know why a lot of these people are running? We'll get to the interview here in a second. But because you are able to transfer over campaign funds to campaigns. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you're on the national stage now, he is getting some cash. Gillibrand is getting some cash. All of the senators are. All the um, uh, House uh, members are. And they can take that money and transfer it into their next Senate race, a gubernatorial run, a congressional run uh, in the House, uh, whatever it might be. So a lot of this is sadly just a massive money grab for those people to get their coffers filled up for the whatever is next for them politically. I mean there really is no reason for some of those people to be on the stage other than that. So yes, it half makes of sense. them have to go. Half of them have <laughs> to go. They're just completely non-essential people on stage. Absolutely. They, they might as well be running the lights for the debate. Okay, so this is my top 10 and then we'll get to the interview. Okay, next debate. These are the only 10 that should be there. Warren, Biden, Bernie, Yang, Buttigieg, I will take uh, Kamala can still be there. Booker can be there. I want Marianne Williamson to be there, but you, <laughs> she she doesn't need to be there anymore, but I do love her spiritually. She, she needs to be off to the side, just sort of like narrating right. what's happening spiritually and energy-wise in the room. Yes. I, she should host the debates. She should be the god, the, uh, the god mic of the theater. Yes, I completely and utterly agree. Uh, let's see, three more. Who, who else? I'm not even thinking about polling data here. I'm more thinking of, well, all those people are uh, polling ahead of, of the others. Let's see, three more people, maybe... I kind of think that's <laughs> that might just that be might it just as far as it. people that I think are true viable contenders. I mean, your Hickenloopers of the world, Bennett, like the the more moderate Democrats, they just don't seem to be standing out. And you know, it, you could just say it seems like the middle aged they got the middle aged kind of white dude kind of pocket. It doesn't seem as if anyone is yeah, really they, bo- popping out of there and being like, should... "Hey, I'm different. I'm fun. I'm like smart." Got how about it. how about we just put them on the comp list? We don't need them to be right. on stage, but they can get front row seats. Yeah. Um, they get maybe like a concessions ticket to get like a a, a popcorn. 
they don't have to be on stage though. They just right. need to uh, they need to cheer and clap from the uh, from the first row. Okay, cool. I could take. You know what? I'll put Klobuchar on there. I'll put Klobuchar on there as well. And I will. I think Tulsi is going to be gone. Ooh, yeah. I think I'm going to put Klobuchar. So that'll be eight. And I can. I'm trying to think of the people that I think should move on. I mean, I think it should be less than this. Honestly, All right. it should be less. It there be, we go. We we. Why do we? Yeah. I mean, we really need to winnow the the field a little bit. Well, and just see where the other votes are going to go. You yeah. know, once these people drop out, where do the votes go? Do they go to Biden? Do they go to Warren? Do they go to Kamala? Do where are they going or to Booker? Where are they going to go? And that'll give us a much better indication. I gotta say, I looked. Uh, there's look this uh, New York Times interactive map of all the the donor, um, where donor support is coming from for each candidate. Right. Sanders is like across the country. Oh, for there, sure. There I mean, are a lot, ran a national there are a lot of like yeah, localized regional things for for uh, for the other candidates, but Sanders' support is so dominant and, and widespread it, it is. it's really heartening for me anyway uh to see that yeah absolutely and uh you know that's the luxury of having run a national campaign before and obviously biden also has that luxury you have all of the you you have you have a connection with so many people all over the place and it's just like anything else what tech does what tech wants what instagram wants is data and what political campaigns want is data as well. Yeah. And they've been able to collect it. So that is going to help. Absolutely. But uh, I'm, I'm thinking Warren might be taking the the, the progressive crown I, I on I think this she one. might be the person that can translate the Sanders stuff into a more like uh, appetizing format. Yes. I, I agree. Although Bernie did, I thought it was a good political stunt. He did bring some people over to Canada. Now, Donald Trump has said perhaps Canadian drugs will be allowed to be sold in the United States as well, which would be a massive step in the right direction. Um, but it, it was interesting to just see people go to a pharmacy in Canada and pay, I think it was, they got $1,000 worth of insulin and it would have cost them something like 11000 in this country. Yeah. And, you know, so that's a big difference. $10,000 <laughs> is a big freaking difference and uh, we definitely need to fix I, our healthcare I, By system. the way, I really like the way that Bernie Sanders looked like looked like he was literally going to explode on stage. He did. <laughs> just full of fury, throwing his arms around. Uh, he we got the classic. I wrote the damn bill. I wrote the damn bill. I'm gonna get that on a hat. Love uh, it. I just uh, yeah. I, but he's he's so but angry, and I love of, it. Yeah, that kind of energy. Again, not that we have to think about dumpy douchehead, but. In a in yes. the debates, no. you know we it, there's Biden is just not sh- like Biden just looks like he he reminds me of Bob Dole. He just seems like the Democrats Bob Dole. You know, like in 2016, people waited too long to attack Trump. You right. know, and I think here you have to just go after him while while selling your policies. Be because the, the main point of all of this, and I think nobody would disagree, is like. We just have to get Trump out of there. Just have to go. We just have to get back to normal. So why isn't why isn't there? You got to direct some of this energy towards the the actual opposition, the villain. This is like the most cartoonishly villainous villain that we've ever had in the in the White House. Absolutely. So you just I I, I want I want Bernie to kind of unleash that on on Trump. All right, everyone. Well, let's get to this interview. This is uh, with Nicoletta Heidegger, and she's a sexologist sex therapist and uh, we have a really interesting conversation um, about subject matter that is difficult uh, to conversate about and to listen to but I think 
our audience. Uh, I know you guys are going to be able to listen to this and hopefully, you know, form some opinions, uh, learn some stuff, and and maybe kick back. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Kissel or find me on Instagram at Ben Kissel One. And I also just want to say, uh, please, if you're in Milwaukee, get those tickets August 11th for Hail Yourself America. I'm super excited uh, to go and see you all. Tired of censoring your smile? Here's some breaking news for you. Smile Direct Club helps you get the smile you've always wanted in as little as six months. With today's technology, anything is possible, even straightening your teeth without leaving the comfort of your own home. Visit SmileDirectClub.com to book a free visit and 3D image at one of their smile shops or have an impression kit mailed to you. They'll email you a preview of your new smile. Once you get your aligners, one of Smile Direct's club's duly licensed doctors will check in on your progress every 90 days. Get the inside scoop on what more than half a million people are smiling about and stop censoring your smile for good. Get started without leaving the comfort of your home. Find out if you're a candidate by taking the free 30-second smile assessment on their website. As one of our listeners, you'll get a free at-home impression kit with rebate and $100 off your aligners. Just go to smiledirectclub.com slash podcast and use offer code TOPHAT. Don't wait any longer to get the smile you deserve. Use this exclusive offer to get $100 off at SmileDirectClub.com slash podcast with code TOPAT. SmileDirectClub.com slash podcast, offer code TOPAT. Before I went on tour this summer, I needed to pick up a pair of wireless earbuds, but I haven't been super impressed by my choices. I don't need a pair of white stems to look cool. I just want earbuds that sound good and don't break the bank. So if you're on the hunt for a new pair of wireless buds, but aren't looking to drop hundreds of dollars, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing. The company was co-founded by Ray J, and celebrities like Snoop Dogg and Cardi B are already obsessed. Raycon's E50 wireless earbuds have totally changed the game for me. They're so comfortable and so easy to take anywhere. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems. And of course, they don't just look great, they sound great too. Raycon hooked me up with their E50 earbuds and I'm never going back to my old headphones. Not only did they survive my trip to Australia and held a charge for ages, but they are also by far the most comfortable in-ear earbuds I've ever worn. But the thing I love most has got to be the price. If you hold off on bringing headphones to the beach, to the pool, or on trips because you're afraid of losing them, you need a pair of Raycons. Raycon offers their wireless earbuds for everyone in a range of fun colors and at an unbeatable price. Go to buyraycon.com slash tophat to get 15% off your order. That's buyraycon.com slash tophat for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. If you've been eyeing a pair, now is the time to get an amazing deal. One more time, buyraycon.com slash tophat. Okay, right now I'm honored to have with me, she is a sexologist, and I met her last week. We were having a wonderful little brunch with some friends, and uh, she was talking about how she went up to a, a, a sexual retreat upstate New York, and we started talking about her job as a sex therapist and a sexologist, so we are going to get into 
a lot of interesting things today. So thank you so much for being on the show, Nicoletta Hedegger. Thank you so much. Close enough. Close enough. Heidegger. It, Heidegger. Oh, my God. We did this before the show. My brain is gone. Heidegger. This is so classic. Nicoletta Heidegger. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me and for listening to me talk about my sexual retreat. I can't wait to can't wait to share. Well, I do. I want to I want to talk about it. We don't really talk about that subject too much on this show. But of course, I also want to talk about your history of dealing with. Uh, in the mucky, yucky world in many ways of, uh, I guess, some some sexual practices that are that are not so good. So we'll talk about that. But first, let's talk about sexual liberation and some of the stuff that you're doing, because oftentimes, you know, in this country, you know, we get a little puritanical when it comes to sex. We're not as free as the Europeans. I've said it before and I'll say it again. And so you just had a an experience where you were able to go upstate and hang out with a bunch of gals, and basically the entire thing was sort of like Midsummer, uh, the hit new film in cinema today. Uh, it seemed a little Midsummer esque the way you were descri- <laughs> describing it. But just talk a little bit about that process and uh, and why you chose to go to this event. Yeah, definitely Midsummer. I don't want to have any spoilers, but Midsummer was maybe less murder. Okay, good, good. Um, Thank God. Just, just the fun parts. But we were upstate at this retreat center called Medla, and it was the 90th birthday of this woman named Betty Dodson. And Betty Dodson is a sex educator, a sexologist, and in the 60s, she started these, like, women's masturbation circles. So basically, she was, like, helping women learn to find their orgasm and practice it with each other. Right. And so for, for her 90th, they had a big retreat uh, at, in upstate and it pretty much culminated in like a 50-person masturbation session. That sounds wonderful, and it's a great place upstate New York, gorgeous area for a mutual masturbation session. Why do you think, <laughs> why do you think it is that we sort of is, – is that just – is that more of an our society thing when it comes to women and sort of – I don't know, not being able to explore their sexuality. So retreats had to be set up. Or why do you think this sort of movement uh, or where did this movement spring from? Yeah, I mean, of course, we have a lot more freedoms in this country than some other countries and other places. So it's, it's all relative. Um, I think this was really about like women finding their power. And so in the 60s, with a lot of other political movements going on and just like women's rights and sort of different waves of of feminism happening, um, Betty sort of like originated this to help people find their power, I think, through Mm -hmm. self-pleasure. But what what I commonly see with clients of mine who, who live in the States is people who have never had an orgasm, people who have a lot of misinformation. Obviously, there's not a lot of great sex ed, if at all, in our country. And like you said, some very puritanical stuff. So people just don't know how to um, find their own pleasure and then how to talk about it with partners and how to help them um, experience pleasure, like in a partnered thing. And so this really is a way for people to get to know their bodies and just see how powerful and how much capacity they have to, to experience pleasure. And with that, I think comes a lot of like body confidence, just overall confidence, at least that's been my experience. Um, But it's really sad. 
Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. You know, we definitely don't talk about this subject enough. And you're right. I went to Catholic school, so sex ed was a little weird. Well, I mean, hopefully you weren't having mutual masturbation sessions in Catholic school, <laughs> but it would have been great if they had some, uh, no. you know, as we're talking about sex stuff that's not cool. But right. I'm guessing they didn't have a lot of sex ed. No, no. And I wasn't cool enough to go to the mutual masturbation sessions. So I was just at home alone watching wrestling, <laughs> eating cheese doodles. But that's fine. Well, it's never too late. You're cool enough now. So yeah. uh, I'll, I'll send you the schedule. <laughs> Thank you so much. They'll love when a 330-pound man shows up and be like, is this it? This is where I'm supposed to be, right? <laughs> is this where I watch the 50 women touch themselves? Yes. I'm here to party. Um, sir, it's time for you to go. Also, you can leave the Bud Lights, though. We'll have those. What is the what goes into the psychology? Because I know you're a, you're a therapist. You deal with a lot of people. What's the psychological hiccups, I suppose? Or what are some of the things that are going on mentally that does attach itself to sexuality and and limiting one's sexual you know pleasure? Is that is it a, a self hatred thing or what? What's your uh, opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, it's never just one thing. You know, sexuality is such a complex web and it doesn't exist in a vacuum. So we're dealing with so many layers of of shame. So first there's, you know, the layer of culture. So right. we may be getting messages from movies that like penis and vagina penetrative sex is like the way that you get pleasure. And for a lot of people with, with vulvas and vaginas, um, that may not be true. Right. And then there's another layer of, you know, what kinds of bodies are able to experience pleasure or are sexier attractive. So we're thinking, you know, thin, able-bodied white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, folks usually don't have parents or teachers uh, growing up who know how to talk to them about sex. And so it's not getting talked about. They may learn it just from friends getting misinformation, just from watching porn and like comparing themselves to like these professional entertainers who do it for a living. Right. And so it's all of these things all sort of put together and culminating in in shame, in lack of education and in lack of skills to communicate wants and needs to oneself and to another person. So you have to deal with sort of the surrounding issues, and then from dealing with those issues, it has an impact on someone's ability to get sexual pleasure. Is that it? Absolutely. I mean, if you're, there's something called spectatoring, um, when you think of like engaging in sex stuff. So spectatoring is when you're not present and you're just kind of like watching yourself as if you were floating above. And so you're thinking like, Oh, well, how do my roles look from this angle? Like, mm. how do I smell? Like, did I just fart? Like, you know, all of these <laughs> right. things, like spectatoring. And so it's really hard to like be in your body and experience pleasure when you're not present. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a very interesting point. And obviously, you know, when it comes to sex ed in this country or in our conversations about sex, as you said, it's usually like, you know, extremely superficial, whether it be porn or the way that we cover it on magazines and uh, on the internet and stuff like that. And so I do think there are a lot of people that are left to their own devices. And I guess we can sort of move forward now um, to the other side, the not so, you know, some of the dangers of 
of people who have sexual dysfunction. And of course, when we're talking about things like pedophilia in the context of Jeffrey Epstein, the word pedophile has been thrown around a lot lately. And certainly on our show, uh, whether it be side stories or last podcast on the left, we talk about people who uh, participate in pedophilia, obviously uh, horrible stuff. And now in the context of Jeffrey Epstein, it's really being blasted out all over the country on newspapers all over the country. Can you uh, give us a little bit of detail into your work when it comes to dealing with non-offending pedophiles? And can you sort of clarify what that term means, non-offending pedophile? So in my work, I both work with folks who are survivors of, you know, survivors and victims of sexual assault and sexual trauma, but I also work with, you know, abusers. Um, And back in my PhD program, um, one time we had a guest visiting who was what they call a non-offending minor attracted person, which means someone who is committed and has no desire to act on their fantasies um, in someone who is, you know, under the age of consent. Right. So this was a person that came to speak, and now this person never acted on these impulses and these thoughts. Is that correct? Yeah. And so in my research now with my dissertation, what we find is that most people who have these attractions actually don't want to or never have the desire to harm children. Um, And just to kind of clarify, I mean, like you said, lots of people are throwing out this word pedophile. Um, and it's, it's sort of a misnomer. I mean, firstly, it's such a loaded word. So when we, when we hear the word pedophile, we immediately think child molester, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, that those two are kind of synonymous. Um, secondly, so if we're thinking of like diagnosis and how in like the therapy world we would define pedophile, um, it's someone who is attracted to children who are prepubescent, meaning they have not gone through puberty. Mm. Um, and so with someone like Jeffrey Epstein, um, he kind of falls into a different category. Okay. Um, so there's another category known as um, hebophilia. So hebophilia mm. or hebophilia is folks who are interested in early adolescent people. So we're talking like early puberty, like, you know, that's different for every person, but like 11 to 14. Okay. Um, and then a febophilia or a febophilia is folks who are interested in teens. Uh, predominantly teens. Mm. And so, you know, it's such a diverse group of people and it often gets like lumped into this one category. But what I noticed when this person came and talked to our class is that they said they've been looking for, they had been looking for a therapist for decades who would work with them. Um, But because of the, the feelings around this topic and the lack of education and the lack of knowledge and just the, the, like internal feeling we all have when we hear the word like pedophile, um, they had been turned away from like every therapist they had tried to, you know, work with. Right. And so for me, it was like, I would rather, you know, we live in a country that doesn't do a lot of preventative medicine. Right. And so I really wanted to get into a place of like, you know, if there are people who have these desires and are struggling with them, um, then I would like to make sure they get some help so that, Mm -hmm they have a chance and everyone can be can be safe. Um, but we kind of view that population as like a ticking time bomb, even though in a lot of cases it's not. Usually the people who offend, people like I've seen, um, 
they usually have another mental health condition on top of this attraction. Okay. So, I mean, obviously in my head I'm thinking like a clockwork orange. Everyone has their eyes sewn open, so they have to watch a whole series of videos, and it's a form of torture or something. But in the real world, what does that process look like? Because, you know, everyone who listens to this show knows I took in many, our family took in many foster kids uh, growing up. Many of them uh, were sexually abused, and it was horrible and, uh, you know, really unbelievable uh, an unbelievable hurdle for them to uh, get over if they ever got over it at oh, all. Oh, yeah. Um, but w- when you have someone come into your office and they say that they have these impulses and desires, what are some of the steps then to deal with that or help that person so they don't hurt a child? Because as we were talking about uh, over some drinks the other day, uh, you know, everyone everyone has their issues that we have to deal with in life. As long as you don't actually hurt a child, you know, and as long as you're trying to be proactive and say, hey, I need to curb this or fix this or figure this out anyway, Mm -hmm. I think that's only that I think that's only positive. That's only a good thing. So what are some of the steps that you would take with someone who is having these kind of thoughts? And both, and, and also I'm interested to hear if it's both men and women or mostly men or... Yeah, I mean, of course, just to reiterate, you know, the impact of childhood sexual trauma on a person is, you know, horrific. And there's a lot of healing that goes into that. And I have a lot of clients dealing with that, especially in this, you know, Me Too era. A lot more folks are, are coming out with their stories and their right. experiences. I think first and foremost, it comes down to the fact that a lot of people who enact childhood sexual abuse um, do so for different reasons. And so not everyone who offends against a child or engages in sexual assault um, would meet the criteria for, for being a pedophile, for pedophilia. So there's lots of other reasons that it comes up, whether it be power, whether it be another kind of mental health disorder, like a personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, uh, things like that. So I think it's important to to get to the bottom of like all the other reasons that people sexually assault and sexually abuse kids so that mm-hmm. we can know more about it and prevent and and make sure we help the most vulnerable folks in our population. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, obviously now we resolve it uh, by saying you can't go near a school. You have to live in certain housing communities. It And it, it's it's yeah. reactionary. So from the front end, how what that's what I'm interested in here is how do you how do you help prevent this from happening? I mean, the so research that is most important to me, I think, about this is just the impact that social isolation bullying and stigma have on a person. And so for someone who discovers that they have this attraction, often they lean into a life of isolation. They don't feel like they can have relationships. They may not tell anybody for fear of being turned in, for losing their job, for losing their family, for losing their partnerships. And so we have so much evidence on like what that does to a person's Mm -hmm. psyche. So to me, that's like a big piece of the healing is like making sure to find community for that person. Um, so there's a couple organizations, one's called Before You Act, another's called VERPED, which stands for Virtuous Pedophiles. So for me, it's important to look at like, you know, where are they in their community? Do they have community? Uh, it's also important to ask and figure out if they are 
purely minor attracted or if they're also interested in adults. So some people are like minor attracted only, but other folks have an interest in adults as well. So I interviewed someone on, on my podcast, Sluts and Scholars, and uh, they are married to, uh, they're, they're a male and they're married to an adult woman, and they have found somebody that they can do uh, like age play role play with. Now mm. they're both consenting adults. Um, this person also likes adults, and so that works well for them. Um, and this person's committing to committed and has no interest in you know harming children. And so to me, it's about figuring out their their support system, their community. First and foremost, I always have to tell them like what my rules and obligations are. So mm -hmm. there's legal and ethical things. Like if someone does tell me that they have you know assaulted or offended or abused someone, then I'm mandated by law to you know, to turn them in. Right. Um, or if someone has child pornography. Right. So first and foremost, we are protecting kids, but at the same time, you've got to establish trust and care with any, any client. So a big part of it is just treating them like a human being, which I think is really tough because most people, when they hear about someone who has this attraction, whether they've offended or not, the big response is usually, well, they should all just be dead. Right. Right. So it's interesting you mentioned these groups. Just a little concern that I would have, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. Is it possible with these groups, obviously like Nambla, you know, that's like the famous one and all that stuff, um, but all th that seems to be more encouraging pedophilia. Is it is it dangerous to have groups of, of like-minded people in this sense uh, when it comes to normalizing the idea? Do, is, does that run the risk of having people get a group of people together and they yes and themselves into actually offending is that a possibility when it comes to these so-called support groups i mean look there's there's always a possibility for things anywhere to happen but to me it's sort of like thinking that way is sort of the same as thinking like if we teach kids about sex education that they're gonna all have more sex mm-hmm and so without having support resources, I think we're I think we're worse off. And most of these groups, you know, if they're some of the ones that I listed, everyone there is there so that they don't do anything harmful so that they can connect with people. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure there are offshoots of folks who are trying to engage in illegal and unethical behavior. Right. But, you know, that's if I were to give a recommendation, I would make sure to like vet it first. So I'm, I'm sure there are folks out there who unfortunately have other mental health stuff where they may advocate for that. Right. Um, but I think it's better to have, you know, some kind of preventative support rather than nothing. Well, no. And I think that's what was so interesting about our conversation and the conversation we're having now. It's a difficult conversation uh, without a doubt. And it's a conversation that, you know, when we were having, I was like, I don't think I've ever had this conversation before. And I've had about every conversation <laughs> that's possible to have. <laughs> so I was like, this is. I mean, fuck yeah. And like props to you and your listeners for even like being willing to like hear this stuff. Because I know when I first heard it, like I had a physical reaction. A lot of people have a physical reaction. It's a fucking tough topic. It is absolutely tough, and I don't. I'm. I'm I think our listeners are mature enough uh, to handle it in all of its uh, in all of its difficulty. What What are? I know you can't talk about the clients that you've seen and everything, but I can talk a little bit about it. Is this something that happens? Is this a mental condition? Uh, and again, not to validate it in any way, but is this? What are the walks yeah. of life of people that come in? Is, is there an economic class or? 
Uh, Have you seen similarities uh, within groups, or is this something that is widespread throughout? I mean, obviously, we're talking about higher-end people just because they're going to see a therapist, you know, so, you know, someone that would uh, have access to you is probably already on the higher socioeconomic ladder, I would assume. But have you seen any similarities with, with, I don't know, just the types of people uh, that you meet? It, it is a diverse group of people. It's hard to really estimate. You know, I've only seen who I've seen who comes up to my office, obviously. So, like, my pool is, is limited. But I think it's, it's interesting because most of the research on this population is on folks who are already incarcerated, right. so who have already offended. And so we're looking already at like a skewed population of people who, who have committed, you know, sexual abuse offenses. Um, in terms of like folks that I've seen, it's definitely been uh, more gendered towards, towards men. Mm-hmm. But there are researchers now who say that it more looks like a sexual orientation. And in me saying that, that does not give permission to harm children. But what I mean by that is we see it developing like earlier in age. So I do see like adolescents who have this desire. Um, Something interesting to point out though, I think, you know, we live in a culture where like when an older woman hooks up with a young guy, it's often seen as like a cool thing. Like, oh, good job, man. Like you got that cougar, you got that MILF, like how cool that you got to have sex with your teacher. But when the genders are reversed, um, it's not seen that way. And so I can imagine that there are more women out there experiencing this, but because of the like social and cultural norms that we put on women as like the caretakers or on like it's okay for men to be sexual, more sexual at any time in any age. Right. I do think it's skewed, it's skewed, but you, we, I do see this attraction in people across races, across socioeconomic status, um, and across ages, Interesting. and 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 seeing it stay um, throughout the lifespan. Right. Um, but I do think it's a it's a spectrum. So, like I said, there are some people who are mostly attracted to adults, but have some interest in minors. Like it's sort of like a a spectrum of like how attracted they are. So each, each case, each person is very different. Right. And of course, again, you can do what your, what some of your clients did with the role play, everyone being uh, consenting and things like that. When it comes to Jeffrey Epstein, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on, we talk about, you know, pedophiles in power, pedophiles in the government. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, this whole case is sort of, you know, blowing that wide open. We're going to start hearing more and more names, uh, whether it be the yeah. CEO of Victoria's Secret, Alan Dershowitz, you name it, uh, Clinton and Trump and all these people. We're going to hear a treasure trove of wealthy folks. Obviously, they would go out to this Lolita Island. Everyone was underage uh, or many women mm-hmm. were underage. Where would you put power and pedophilia? You know, is it, you know, is that different to you uh, than someone who, you know, uh, you know, does not have their level of clout? Is there something with just holding a dark secret close to your chest amongst another group of people in power? Uh, that is something compelling for folks. Um, is it is 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 there a power trip that goes along with it? Do you think that's also attached with this Jeffrey Epstein stuff and all the other wealthy folks that are going to be tied to him? I mean, I definitely think power plays a huge part in any sort of like non-consensual sex that we're seeing in the media. 
um, just in terms of in terms of access, in terms of money, in terms of legal support. I think that's definitely out there. I mean, I think just to reiterate, like the research that we do have on folks with minor attraction, one of the most like compelling things shows that the biggest indicator, like if someone is going to offend, is another mental health condition. So what are what are some of those conditions then? Yeah, like Epstein's not my client, but like it sounds like he's got some narcissistic personality disorder stuff going on. Right. Maybe some like antisocial personality qualities. Um, So that mixed with, I think, this attraction mixed with the power um, is a fatal combination. Right. So how much nature and nurture do you think goes into this? Do you think it really is? Does it have to be a perfect storm of events? when it comes to someone creating an active uh, pedophile? I mean, I think there's this like age old expectation that people who are interested in minors have had like been molested themselves. And the data just like doesn't show that there's a connection. Really? So, yes, there are some people. Yeah. So like, yes, there are some people who have this interest and attraction who have had sexual trauma, but there are just as many people who haven't. And so more and more researchers are kind of arguing that the way pedophilia looks is more of an uh, orientation. Mm. Also important for me to always point out that like pedophile doesn't mean that there's a disorder. Uh, So in our, we've got like in therapy, there's this book called the DSM, which is like where all the diagnoses live um, where you can like figure out what diagnosis somebody has. Mm -hmm. And so pedophilic disorder is only diagnosed when it is causing somebody issues in their life or if somebody has acted on it. The same thing is true for people who are like voyeurs and exhibitionists. So like you might be like, oh, I'm an exhibitionist and you like, you know, having sex in front of people. Um, But you would only have the disorder if you were like non-consensually flashing people on the New York subway. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right. So when it comes to this, because I've heard this before, this is not a new thing when it comes to labeling pedophilia as an orientation. Obviously, I think a lot of people listening and myself included would be like, well, it seems like a slippery slope into acceptance. Yeah. And I think it really upsets like the LGBT population. Yes, exactly. People have already used that against like queer folks as like, oh, well, this is a gateway to like pedophilia and bestiality. Right. Which it's not. Um so in it being looking similar in the way it develops to an orientation, I think it's really tricky because that you don't want to, that to give permission for someone to act on it as like, oh, well, this is who I am. It's okay. Yes. I mean, because occasionally in the cesspool that is Twitter, you will see some people arguing that point And it's just like, you know, again, with the being, we have a lot of LGBTQ listeners and obviously I grew up in a gay family. So you do have to be very careful, and I guess that's why this conversation, it's funny because we get to have this kind of long podcast conversation, but I can't even imagine how television news or how a more condensed medium would be able to address the intricacies of the idea of pedophilia as an orientation. Yeah, I don't think they do. I mean, it's mostly fear-based, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And of course, preventative and like take care of yourself. And obviously we have to think about the victims and all those things as well. Um, But also we have to think about preventing people from acting out. So I guess that really is what what's your 
understanding so far in your community, uh, because obviously you're you're a therapist, you're a sexologist. I know you guys see the world in a interesting, you know, sort of sociological lens, anthropological lens as well. What are what's the consensus in your community about labeling it in orientation? Is it, you know, tepid? I myself have even gotten a lot of pushback. I mean, I'm one of the the few folks who kind of researches this. You know, most therapists, most mental health practitioners don't get any classes or information on this, which is why I often get brought in to like do educational things around this. Like next week, I'm going to go talk to some therapists about how to work with clients like this. Um, The last time I went to like a like a sex therapist conference, uh, which we do have, and they're very fun. Not just all pedophilia all the time. Good, good. <laughs> Not just all pedophilia all the time. They're usually very fun conferences. Uh, but at those conferences, they have featured, you know, me speaking. There's another researcher named Michael Cito. So, like, it is out there. But definitely most people um, have their own responses to it. So they may not want to work with this population. They may not be able to find empathy for this population, right. or they just have like no educational background in, in working with them at all. I mean, my approach is, you know, I try to treat every client as a human being who's like worthy of value and space. And I think that's hard for some people. Like yeah. I've even gotten death, death threats for some people from some people for me saying that like, folks who have this attraction deserve support i mean obviously and of course when you say support not like good go do it buddy like have a great like you know meet support (laughs) in support (laughs) exactly like support in like helping them and so how would you say you know if someone is you know struggling with this and you know what man i mean i have to say like if you are struggling with this we we didn't give ourselves our brains the only thing we can do is control you know, the best that we can. We have to control our impulses. And as Marcus Parks always says, you know, you're not, what is it? Like, it's not your fault, your mental health issues. They're not your fault, but they are your responsibility. And so you have a responsibility not to be an offending pedophile. How would someone struggling with this even approach a therapist and be like, yo, this is going on with me. I really, I just need help. Um, what's the best way that someone can actually get out there and get help? Because again, we're trying to protect children here. You know, I, I try not for people who reach out and are struggling with that. I try not to make them feel like ticking time bombs. You know, I try to really differentiate between fantasy and behavior so that if someone has that attraction, it doesn't mean that they're a child molester or that I'm, that I'm expecting them to offend. I think that's that's really important, but it's really hard to reach out because, like I said, a lot of folks don't have um, education around this, and so they may think that a fantasy is reportable. And like you know, I, we have fantasies all the time. That doesn't mean we like want to act on them or do anything about it. Like not even sexual fantasies. Like sometimes you know, when there's like a tray full of food, you just are like, what would happen if I flip this over? Of or course. like if someone cuts me off in traffic, I'm like, let me throw some rocks at their car. But like I don't do it usually. Last I night know. I went to go see Ben Folds and uh, the uh, the Violent Femmes over at the Pier 17 here in Brooklyn, and we had a gorgeous view of the Brooklyn Bridge. And I'm just hanging out with Henry and my boys. And the whole time I'm like, what if that just collapsed? You know, you just think about like the Brooklyn Bridge collapsing. You'd be like, 
man, that would be like you can Yeah, absolutely. Your brain is is constantly going a mile a minute thinking about random, you know, ridiculous things that if they did happen, it would be horrible. Uh, but that's just the way the mind works, I suppose. Yeah. Or sometimes it's just a fun fantasy, right? Like, you know, if you're someone who watches like alien porn doesn't mean you want that. I mean, maybe you do. Or for people who want to do like you know, other kinds of fantasies doesn't mean like you want it in real life. But right. in terms of them like finding support, um, there's this organization that I mentioned earlier called Before You Act, and they have a list of practitioners um, in different areas around the world, around the country, who uh, do work with this kind of population. So you can get set up with somebody who is aware of this and who knows their you know, ethical, right. legal obligations, but also is willing to, to see folks who are struggling with this. Where do you draw the line then as far as like pornography goes? Because obviously you cannot look at child pornography. A child is being hurt. You can't look at uh, right. pictures of children. You, you just can't do that stuff. So what is how? I guess the question is, this is a very interesting topic, by the way. It's a tough one. <laughs> I know. Thank you for being so open. I'm so honored. I guess what what is the outlet? What like what do you how how do you have them then like find legal and consensual ways? Exactly because it is you cannot look at anything uh, that it actually involves a child or I mean I would say don't even read a story about it. Um, but so how what is the outlet that doesn't harm anyone? Well, it's so it's so interesting, right? Because our culture also really puts a heavy emphasis on youth and beauty. And so, I mean, there's a whole category of porn for tiny teens, right? Yeah. Like people who like look and are dressed up like young people who like are very small. Yeah. And, th and those people are over the age of 18, right? You know, it's popular. Yeah. And then we see hentai anime kind of porn where there are children depicted in animation. Right, right. Well, let me let me ask you this. So, you know, if someone comes to me and they've like looked at, you know, child pornography, that's something that's reportable. Um, what if somebody told you that they went on YouTube and they were looking at videos of uh, young girls doing yoga challenges and that was pleasurable for them to watch? Yeah, I would not like it. <laughs> I would say I would say that is no good. And that would be one of my like in those video games where it's like your relationship has changed. Uh, I would be like, my relationship has mm. changed with that person. Because isn't there something, it is dangerous, right? When Because I agree with you. I think, you know, Hollywood has been sexualizing youth for so long in this country. It is absolutely disgusting um, the way that we glorify being young. Uh, and it, it does send a crapload of mixed messages. I totally oh, yeah. uh, understand that. And so I suppose maybe these people feel, I mean, you know, even just thinking about when I was growing up, uh, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, they were so young. Obviously, I was also 15 and 16, but now I'm 38 and I'm like, geez, put some what is going on, Britney? You know, obviously it wasn't her fault. Uh, it was your pearls. Well, I mean, it was it's just they're so young. And even now is, is the entertainer. I get old. But, you know, the Hollywood always has a new crop of people who look 14 and maybe they're 17 uh, to push out. Yeah. Do you think there's a massive pedophile ring, basically, or an acceptance of pedophilia within the entertainment industry? And they just said, you know what, let's just put it on blast. Pretend we're marketing to children, even though we know we're not. And let's just put this out so much in the mainstream that people can't even imagine 
that this is exactly what we're doing. Do you think they are doing this on purpose? Because you watch these videos and it really is disgusting. Like, you know, these young people do it like acting very sexual, way, way too young. Do you think that we just live in a society now where surprise as pedophilia is not talked about at all? But surprisingly, it is so overt that we don't even notice it anymore. I mean, yeah, it is a huge message. And look, like, I, I love me some good conspiracy theories. Like, I don't know if I would say there's, like, an underground, you know, rig of this happening. Well, no, I'm saying I think it's above ground. I think it's on our TVs and in our print and everywhere. I mean, I think it's just, like you said, these mixed messages. So we're, like, valuing youth and sexualizing youth, but also saying it's not okay. I think... I think it's tough because on one hand, I advocate a lot that it's okay for, for children and younger people to have a sexuality. That doesn't mean that it's okay for adults with a power dynamic to prey on that sexuality. But like kids figure out that like self-pleasure and all that stuff is like, you know, they figure that out early on. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't mean they can consent to being with someone who is older and there's a power dynamic there. But at the same time, like, kids do have a sexuality, which is scary for a lot of people. And so I think it's just this like whole thing of mixed messages and then a lack of sex education, a lack of talking about it. And yeah, people are enjoying watching it. I mean, going back to that video thing, like clearly you had a reaction to it, right? Like you were like, that grossed me out. I wouldn't want to think about that. And I'm sure the girls like posting their like yoga videos aren't thinking that someone's like jerking off to them. Right. And that wouldn't be reportable. Like, it's not illegal because it's not child porn. Um, so some people do find loopholes in that way that might make folks feel really uncomfortable. Right. But it's not supporting child porn. So there's definitely a gray area there. But I think some more conservative therapists might report that because of their own, like, feelings of disgust about it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, of course, again... The, I guess the main concern is, does that lead to the mind normalizing it? And then next thing you know, they're acting. And that is why this conversation is just so intense and uh, and very and very interesting and difficult in many ways. Thank you so much for being on the show, Nicoletta. I guess, let's see, is there anything else you want to say just to wrap it up a little bit? <laughs> How does one wrap this up? Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, honestly, that's why I kind of pass the buck to you. Because <laughs> in my years of hosting a podcast, I think this is the first time where it's like, what's the wrap-up question here? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, look, we talked, about, we talked about something intense today. It's okay if you had a reaction. I think we're all conditioned to, like, have a reaction to this. Um, if you have questions, you can feel free to reach out to me at nicolettavheidegger.com um, or on my podcast at Flux and Scholars. I'd be happy to, to send you in the right direction or if you're struggling and you need help. But I think to me, this is just a bigger discussion of the line between fantasy and behavior, but mm -hmm. also just being able to talk about difficult subjects around sexuality and desire. Yeah. Because it's so variable and this stuff has been going around for a long time and cultures are changing, you know, like back in the day, it was okay for people to marry early pubescent folks. And I'm not saying that's right. Or this is, you know, I'm glad we have the laws that we do now because there are huge power dynamics and differentials and age stuff. Right. But I think it's important to remember the context in which we're existing. So the culture, the society, the way we were brought up, the way we learned about sex, and 
you don't have to put yourself in jail or be put in jail for just a fantasy that you have. That doesn't mean that it's always actable on or that it should be legal uh, because I don't agree with that. But I think right. it's important for people to, you know, I think the issue exists in the shame and the issue exists in the way people feel about their sexualities. And that's where the stuff happens is in the shadows and in the shame. And so we, if we mm. can bring this to light and have a real conversation about what usually causes childhood sexual abuse and mental health, then I think it would be good for everyone. So even if you don't agree that folks with minor attraction deserve the time of day, let's think about the bigger picture. Well, and think about protecting more children. That's what it's all about. And you're right, the line of fantasy and reality, we had the cannibal cop case. We have a First Amendment, and it's really difficult sometimes. The gray area in there is when does it become illegal, when is it legal, and when does it cross the line? And it's it's a conversation that we will continue to have forever in this country. Um, so thank you so much. And check out the podcast, Sluts and Scholars. I, I, wanna, I, I have to listen to the episode you did with Sasha Gray because you always have all these amazing uh, entertainers on, and I, I want to hear from them. Oh, thank you. Well, maybe you'll come join us. Well, I don't think I have a lot to offer on this subject, but, you know, maybe. <laughs> well, I I personally like to talk about murder, so we oh, haven't great. had a good murder episode. And so maybe uh, for selfish reasons, you could come talk to us about some good old-fashioned sex crime murders. All right. Well, that sounds, that sounds like an interesting conversation for sure. Uh, <laughs> Nicoletta Heidegger. I did it right the second time. Maybe the third yes, time. I don't praise know. Be. Nicoletta Heidegger. Reach out to her with your thoughts and your questions on this. Again, what was the uh, website people can find you on? You can find me at Nicoletta V. Heidegger. That's like V is in V is in Victor. Nicoletta V. Heidegger.com. Or you can find me at the Sluts and Scholars podcast pretty much on any platform at Sluts and Scholars. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. All right. There it was. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, informative, Travis. Not very, not very sexy, though. No, no not, not the sexiest not, conversation. Not a very sexy convo. <laughs> oh, that is for sure. But thank you all so much for listening. And again, can't wait to see you all in Milwaukee. Make it a last podcast weekend. We'll be there for LPOTL August 10th and then August 11th. I'll be there for Hail Yourself America. So thank you all so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter, Ben Kissel one Ghost Garbage for Travis. And is it just Travis Morningstar on Instagram? Just ghost garbage for both. Ghost of them. garbage yeah. for everything. Ghost garbage. Find Travis and talk to him. All right, everyone, hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay, leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Ah, is there a door behind all those spiders? It's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. Ah, this is perfect. Relax, you booked a Verbo.